Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to another episode of Greenland. Today we're chatting with producer, executive, and a real industry titan, Bill Mechanic. Bill, first off, I just want to thank you for taking the time. I know you're busy, and so thanks for joining for a conversation. No problem. Titans have to do those sorts of things. They do indeed. Uh, And for those that are listening to this and not watching uh, the video piece of it, uh, the posters that I see behind Bill on his wall, which is very rarely a place I start a conversation, but I see Fight Club and I see Titanic, which are two of obviously some of the most important movies ever. And as he moves the the camera around, there's uh, Moulin Rouge and I see Thin Red Line as well. So obviously Bill, oh, and then Romeo and Juliet also. So some some really exciting titles uh, in your career has spanned so many amazing filmmakers and eras of filmmaking and cinema and the theatrical experience and the change to home entertainment and the things you've seen have been pretty remarkable. And I, that's a lot to unpack, especially with titles as big as those. And we're going to focus today around certainly Titanic, certainly Fight Club. But I'd love to just start by way of background, just having you introduce yourself, how you got into the business. Um, obviously, again, that can be a very um, granular question, but you can stay high level and then you can sort of free flow from there as to where you are today and what that path has looked like. Okay, well, it's all an accident. Um, mostly a good accident, though. Uh, I grew up wanting to be a writer um, and loved movies. I read, I mean, loved to read, loved to love movies. Um, when I was an undergraduate, I was, I was lit, and I had to take a class. I didn't have to take a class. I took a class in journalism to work on my writing. I had to get published. I sent a, I, I'm not a reporter, so um I thought, well, what can I do? I like movies. So I wrote a film review and sent it in. And uh, I've told the story before, but the the film critic for the big college daily the, in Michigan State Daily, Michigan State News, was um, called me and said, you're better than me. You should take the job. And I was like, thought he was kidding, but he wasn't. And he said he wanted to go off and make movies. It turned out later we reunited and stayed friends as uh, Jack Apps, who wrote Top Gun. Mm-hmm. Um, then I went to film school. I went to grad school at USC for film. And that was, you know, that really kind of iced it. Um, I learned in film school, I wasn't going to be the, I wasn't, I didn't have the talent to be the director, but I could do other things. And uh, it's sort of centered to me either on the writing or on producing. And, and then I just took a series of uh, kind of sidesteps, you know, the into um you know being an executive which i wasn't really trained for and but it worked out okay (laughs) and uh ended up running you know went from uh paramount my first studio job to helping build disney so i was a fourth employee with eisner and wells Mm. in katzenberg and and built out a lot of the infrastructure disney and 
and then ran. I was supposed to go off to produce there. That was my deal, but uh, they didn't want me to produce. They wanted me to be an executive. So they kept giving me things to do. I ran a bunch of divisions where I learned theatrical or uh, learned home video, I ran worldwide home video. I produced specials, um, ran pay TV, hired most of the people who were running divisions and, and, uh, and when all that was done, uh, quit and because I didn't want to do all that. It was all, yeah. it was all good, but it wasn't what I wanted to do, and I wanted to produce. Um, so I was just going to go off, and then I got a call and then went over instead of producing, went over and became president and then CEO of, of Fox, and uh, had butted heads with over the, the all the what I think are pretty great movies too. Yeah, with Murdoch. So the point that um, that was it, and um, I finally pursued my kind of lifelong ambition to actually just produce the movies. So unwinding then, going backwards just for a second, what was the year when, when the, the, the Disney era with Eisner and Katzenberg, the early build out, and what films were you guys working on back then? And I have to imagine that was crazy exciting building out that that team. Yeah, I mean, Par <clears throat> Paramount too, it was Paramount on it. It's prime was Flashdance and Footloose and mm. of Endearment and Top Gun and God Beverly Hills Cop and everything seemed to be working. Uh, and that was kind of environment. Um, to a certain extent, Michael Eisner took me under his wing. I switched to my last um, year at, at Paramount to development under Katzenberg, under Jeffrey. And, uh, and then Paramount blew apart. Diller went to, Barry Diller went to run Fox and Michael Eisner went to run Disney. And because I then was the odd kind of duck in the, in a studio and that I wasn't a specialist, I was actually kind of a generalist. I had, I had developed films, I had distributed films, I had marketed films, did video, I did pay TV and I did television. <laughs> so it, you know, I was, that's why I was so early in the queue for them of, cause I could help them set up Disney. And that was an eight, uh, that was 83, 84, 1984 to 93. What were you working on at that time? I'm curious what the first films out of the gate were in 93, 94 at Disney. Well, I wasn't producing that. I was, that was my pure executive work and, and the films were, you know, it's, geez, it's all the stuff, um, uh, you know, the, I mean, the best stuff obviously became the heyday of, um, of the new animation, you know, of, of yeah. Beauty and the Beast and uh, Lion King was the final movie to come around, Little Mermaid, uh, just before it. And, you know, I met filmmakers, you know, like Peter Weir with the uh, green card, but you know, it was it was one of those periods where it was just, you know, the the quality of the movies was great. You know, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, um, sure. you know, Nightmare Before Christmas built a relationship with Henry Selleck, which you know led to our core line as a producer. Um, you know, Tim Burton on Frankenweenie. Uh, so you know, it was sort of like that. And then they started making too many movies, and and that wasn't very much fun for me. It's like the the idea and you can see it on the streamers that volume is an anathema to quality 
Yes. Um, you know, and that was what was driving me out of out of the out of doing that and just focus on things that were you know quality control that you know even if you're even if you're you know doing the oversight of things you oversight of too many things is not as much fun as trying to get something to be really good for sure yeah you 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 touch i mean i totally agree on the volume game of what the streamers have done and how difficult it becomes to even find you know we were talking about this the other day i won't even name which streamer which in the office saying okay of this streamer what is the favorite what's your favorite original film from that platform and you struggle to even identify them yeah that just the the cultural relevance of those movies is so different and the quality of them is so different than the heyday yeah i didn't think it you know i used to do that with the movie business in general give me your give me the last great not good movie what's the last great movie you've seen but if you said what's the last great movie on any of the streamers i would say there isn't <laughs> right i mean they're not, great is a different even Correct. category and hard enough to do in the broad world of you know seven companies producing but you know the in the streaming world they're 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 just trying to get stuff up on the screen and you know not understanding that one or two good things make more difference than a hundred bad things. For sure. Rewinding for a second on something you yeah. said about having butted heads during the Fox era with, with Murdoch, but obviously that was a run of some really amazing films. Curious on what that looked like, the, the butting heads to the extent you can, can go into it. I'm sure there are parts of it you, you can't or don't want to, but I'd love to explore what did that look like? And again, the significance of those movies in that period are, are so unbelievably relevant even to today. Well, he hated movies, you know, you can see, you can see the disrespect or the disregard for movies just by what he did to Fox, you know, the, by, I mean, he destroyed a hundred year legacy by dumping it into, into um, Disney, you know, that, that's like a crime to me, but th- that attitude was pervasive. Um, the bigger thing was I, I thought he was a rail baron when I went to work there, you know, that he was just a moneymaker and didn't, you know, they had come out of a tough time, almost been bankrupt. Fox was the bottom yeah. of, of the barrel in terms of studios. And as I always say, I went to final interview with Murdoch was uh, I went to the Fox executive building and it said Fox Fi Corp, the LM had fallen off and nobody had bothered to even fix it. That was sort of the, and he was going to, I think at that stage, sell off the, the lot. And I said, if you, if I take the job and you, you sell off a lot, essentially you, you're a banker, you're not a movie company and no interest. So he agreed to fix things and, you know, gave me the money and you know, I worked for Chernin at the time, but you know, it was me really designing the plans of how to rebuild Fox when I wanted, when I got there and I wanted to screen a movie, I had to rented from sony because they had leased the main theater to sony i mean it was like oh, yeah it was that bad and and um but he gave you know gave enough money to pick up development to to rebuild all the departments you know which i did i you know i had 18 departments and i've replaced the heads of 16 of them and and you know took fox from zero to number one but in the process he the the better we did, the more he kind of disliked me. And, and along the way, I saw him not for wanting money, but 
what you see from what's happened over the last, you know, uh, five years, ten years uh, in in the U.S. and then in Britain, you know, politically that he, mm -hmm. you know, he he's uh, arch conservative and you know is a disruptor more than anything else. And and I didn't want to work for that, but I, you know, I was too, you know, I always said situational ethics that I didn't mm -hmm. have ethic ethics. Yeah. So, uh, it was too soon to six months in there when I saw what I what I was getting. Um, it was too soon to quit, and then I didn't want to because I was building something. Uh, and so my dislike was apparent, op openly apparent. And uh, so the more success we had, the more the, his dislike, the return of that uh, came to me. So by the end of it, we would sit in a meeting and. And uh, he would look, to, you know, he'd be pointing to the side. He wouldn't even sure. look at me. And yet they were trying to negotiate a new contract, which I wouldn't sign. So it was just, uh, uh, he would insult, you know, like you movie people, you know, you know, and you, it, some of the stuff we give out, you know, Fight Club, you know, what kind of sick human being would make a movie like that? Titanic, I got the biggest movie in history. And he goes, you're lucky. <laughs> Uh, why? Why did you think it was lucky? Just that the film had hit? Yeah, that uh, I guess you were lucky. Said to me when he saw it. You know, I screened it for him before the um, before it was finished. You know, I'm going to say there's a chance to see all your money up on the screen before we cut some. And you know, it was 20 minutes or 25 minutes came out of that cut. And he called me the next morning and and said, "Well, I see why I like the movie, but it's no Air Force One." <laughs> You know, and then we got to, you know, other movie, every movie was, a, every movie was a, was a, you know, was, a, was a battle in terms mm -hmm. of, it was so, you know, so much an enigma to his own, what he liked, which is popcorn, you know, the, the, the stature of these movies, you know, which are still today, you know, most, yeah. not, not all of them, but certainly more of them, you know um was 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 great you know i always say you know that i got fired the week before x-men came out because i thought that they called it my 70 million dollar art film <laughs> right i love it well yeah that's actually a good segue though on that point which is these are big movies but they're also very director driven right you've got fincher you've got cameron uh, you've obviously got um both moulin rouge and I, I saw, I believe as well, Romeo and Juliet. So you've, you've got these very direct, you know, Baz Luhrmann, very director driven vehicles that you were making. I want to sort of fast forward that backdrop to today. How much has that changed? You know, director driven, auteur driven content, both studio, streamer and independent side and getting projects like that made today where there's a big, bold vision and also you're buying into oftentimes someone pretty tyrannical in terms of how they're going to, get that vision onto a screen uh, actually if i can back back at it it actually wasn't it was it was director driven via script mm. so mm. actually script is king to me more you know moulin rouge baz with baz was pissed to be shit you know peter rice who you know later um was you know was went to went to from fox running all the tv to um senior person in tv at at, at um, disney but you know i sent peter rice down to australia 
for six the last six months before I greenlit yeah. Moulin Rouge to get the script to work. Um, so that you know, the, the to me, the 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 auteur theory gets has kind of sure in a you know a misdirection in the in the business that you certainly the better the material and the better the director the better the movie yeah. the better the actors you know it's a you, you produce movies it's a collaborative art you know people forget it and when it gets too out of whack when the when the director has a hundred percent control um you know i think the movie you know you forget the shakespeare thing the plays the thing you know right. that there there should be checks and balances on on everything and you know you look at there's there's one of the big movies this year with a great director i think that's a kind of a terrible movie i don't want to badmouth somebody but you know I, I watched it and thought oh there's no checks and balances on this nobody right. ever right. said you know this is a really shitty idea for a movie you know, and it doesn't matter how much talent you have, it's still a shitty movie. Mm -hmm. So to you, the, the backbone of the scripts is still going to be the, the, the way, the lens through which you're going to make decisions on what you want to jump into, what you think gets made. Now, again, you, you brought yeah. it up earlier in the discussion. All these platforms are just in the game of volume, volume, volume to try and build subscriber base. And so they're going to green light things that don't have those checks and balances. But as a producer or people listening to this that are making content, getting con content greenlit or trying to get it greenlit, to you, it's all script. Forget if you're forgetting about if you want to make something quality, it's it's all script. If you don't have a script, you're 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 praying, right? You know, and a, and and there's certainly you know there there are talented enough directors because the next important thing is a director or you know even a talented star can shine in something that's not great that's most of the academy nominated pictures you know they're not great movies they're there are some that are like you know brilliantly acted so that there's a raison d'etre there's reason for them to be but if you really want to aim at the highest level you're trying to assemble all those things and that's what a producer does right. the producer is meant there to be an overseer not to get in the way of a you know i don't get in the way of directors and short of you know you're a you're a voice sure a strong enough voice to deal with strong people so it's jim cameron and you know he's gonna try and kill you during the making of a movie yeah um, but you know the, you're you're you know you're you're there um generally you know for for me it starts with where do we develop the material most of those films, whether it was Fight Club, you know, Jim was on Titanic is different. You know, that was his own mm -hmm. idea and not, he didn't write the full script, but he wrote enough of the script that you knew what the movie was, but almost every other movie of those are, are developed by this, you know, either developed by a studio or developed by, you know, pandemonium, you know, my production company. So, and then you find who's the best person for it. You know, so Fight Club, you know, bringing David on to Fight Club, there was a script. It was very good. It would <clears> never <throat> have been that movie. You know, it would have been a, as I described it when we were going to make it, it was supposed to be a cheap, um, inexpensive, not cheap, but an inexpensive, very dark movie. Yeah. And, they, you know, David brought brilliance to it. He didn't make it good. He made it great. Yeah. You know. Yeah, no, he really he made that movie timeless. Um, he really did. You know, it's funny when we have even new interns that join our team, 
each cycle of interns, we, we have the icebreaker game where each person sets their Zoom background if they're remote or in person, you know, they'll, they'll put it on a screen around a scene from an iconic film that's their favorite film. And then the rest of the group has to guess it. And I would say for the last you know, five, 10 years, we've been having intern classes like this. Not an intern class goes by where an 18 to 20 year old's background is set to Fight Club. Like the relevancy of that movie still today in culture mm. is just so massive. It can't be overstating. To me, it was that was a light bulb moment of, oh, I didn't even know you could make movies like this, especially get them out wide. When when I was young, wanting to get into entertainment and sort of chase my own ambitions and, and path. So it's definitely one of those movies, like you said. I remember the I remember Chuck Palinuk. I liked him as a writer and had read some of the work, but I was by no means some huge, huge reader of his of his novels. And then that book, or that, that that adaptation of that book was just so spectacular on so many levels. Um, but and that, and that we grossed all of $9 million first weekend. Uh, how, how did that film, yeah, I'm so curious to perform. Like I've, I've actually never dug into economically. I mean, obviously it's a cult hit and I'm sure home video has crushed it beyond belief right. over the years. But what was the immediate reception back then? Uh, oh, there and, were, we got killed. Yeah. I mean, we had, we did nine million dollars gross 30 million dollars total in the u.s um you know and it, it was always you know and, and some of it's our fault we, you know i don't i think if we had the internet you know if the world was the world of today there would have been a way to sell it you know problem something called fight club i said it was a problem because you know the the it's a that's a guy title <laughs> but it's a guy title who's looking for rocky or creed now you know, they're they're looking for glamorized sure. fighting, and we're you know, Fight Club is anything but that. It's a right. You know, it's it's a you know, it's a completely different movie. And women who love the movie wouldn't get near something called Fight Club. So we were, you know, we were in a box. But I called David the Wednesday before the Friday opening and said, you know, there are going to be two judgments on this film. One is going to be Friday, which I said I don't know how that will be, but it doesn't look great. And then there's going to be a judgment of history. And I thought that history would judge us like extremely well, that it was anthemic, if anything. Um, and, you know, and and it's a picture that had something to say beyond just being like dazzling. You know, his, sure. skill, his skill level is, is, you know, he's in top whatever number you want. You know, he's one of the best filmmakers out there. And, yeah. and again, he plus that material. But, you know, it still was difficult material. We didn't, you know, I, I feel bad today even that we didn't get it to work. But, you know, the people found it, you know, it was safer on home video, the word of mouth. And people yes. ultimately what drives any movie is word of mouth. You know, can you used to be, can you hold long enough in a theater, you know, to get enough people to go? And there are a lot of different ways that you could do that. And then today's world, I mean, you look at the volume you know, and almost every hit on, and I'll just do Netflix, almost every hit on Netflix is word of mouth right. um, driven, right. you know, whether it's Queen Gambit, Queen's Gambit, which who the hell gives a shit about a chess series, you know, a movie yeah. about a woman in chess. It's like a, you know, that's like a crazy idea to be one of their biggest hits or Stranger Things or, you know, Fauda or, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, squid game they're all like no nah, those are forget the big stuff it's the little stuff that's working because they're good sure and people talk so what happened with fight club is 
we went from this flop theatrically. I actually, you know, we didn't have the same problem overseas. It did a hundred million dollars overseas. So it did do business there, but once it hit video and then pay TV, it became, you know, it became fight club. So it's hugely profitable, but it was like an ugly scene because, you know, even before like Murdoch hadn't seen the movie and was, was when he's sat at an open meeting with me and like, what kind of sick human being made it? I'm going to watch the fucking movie first. You know, <laughs> if you still feel the same thing, then come on, then say whatever you want to say to me. But you know, that's, uh, you know, I don't, I didn't know. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sure. sorry for making the movie. I thought you're, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. I did fight club by green league fight club when I was in the middle of being tortured over Titanic, because I thought running a studio, it, you know, if you, if you run from things, you're gonna, that's the, that's the lesson of history is that the big movies that failed um, weren't what sunk the studio or the studio had, what sunk them was like the fear of what was happening to them. Sure. And they stopped making decisions. And I thought, you got to go against the grain, you know? Right. It's, Something it's, about uh, Mary was, came out of the same mm, period, you know? Mm. So those were, those were completely, completely against the grain movies. It's funny. The, um, I was in a conversation on this, uh, on the show, talking with another, uh, another folks, who was just another guy who had run a, a studio as well and had made a comment about, when you start a studio job as an executive, an egg timer starts and it's not uh, if, but when that will come to an end. And that's always been the case. And it's sort of this yeah. rotating constant carousel. Why do you think that is? Um, obviously there's a thousand reasons, but I'm curious from your perspective, you just talked about sort of decision-making paralysis that leads to maybe bad decisions or lack of decision-making that could break somebody down and they're out the door. But for what you've seen, and you've been at a handful of studios, uh, and had big, big executive roles. So the, you know, to me, it's a, a, you know, it's it's movies or movie studios are very kind of sports. So you know, there, there's a saying in baseball, you know, managers hired to be fired. Yeah. That, you know, when you're when you hit 300 in baseball, you're a star. You know, you're an all star. You're a, you know a superstar. Uh, you know, that means seven out of ten times you're you're making it out. Yeah. That same kind of thing happens in running a, a studio no matter what you do or no matter how what skill level you have um no matter how hard you try every movie is not going to work it's just you know and and a hard thing for for me certainly um and i'm sure for anybody is you know you you get to a certain position because you're good at what you do and sure. you're successful and you know you know I, there wasn't a whole lot of failure um surrounding anything i've done and all of a sudden you're making movies and you know holy, holy shit you know that's not going to all work and because the scale of it is so big movie yeah. scale your your failures are 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 mammoth and you know you can you know you can wipe out an entire your profit with the wrong decisions so right you know i looked at it I knew that one before I took the final, you know, the final job where it's your, your responsibility. And I knew I was going to get fired at some point when, when I was fighting with Murdoch. And again, I picked the fight. He didn't pick the fight, you know, 
what I what I was stupid about is the billionaire is always going to win the fight. Yeah. <laughs> so that might have been stupid on my part. But the you know, the other part of it was, you know, it's I felt that that pressure to um, that you're the pressure of that you're going to get fired for the wrong decision was what made me be better at what I did mm. or as good as I got because every decision was a considered decision. Sure. Sure. No, it makes perfect sense. Let's, let's segue for a moment. I yeah. want to get into the, the, the heart of this, which I really want to talk about Titanic and okay. how it came across the desk. Obviously there's so many articles and books and I've read a ton on it. I'm a massive mm -hmm. fan, like almost everybody on the planet. Uh, but I'm also a Cameron fan and a fan of obviously the work ethic, the drive, the vision, the things he's gotten done over his career. Obviously he is a, he is a maniac from, from what I understand and has, is very challenging to work with. Um, but I'd love to understand, again, the 30,000 foot view, how it came in the door, the, the sort of backroom discussions about how or if it was going to get made and, and then ultimately the involvement from yourself and, and the studio to obviously turn it into one of the biggest movies of all time. Well, I think, you know, he come off of True Lies. Um, and again, Fox was like bottom of the barrel. So about the only sure bet in the, in the, in the, it wasn't, you talk about an on-talent driven studio. There was, there was no, ta there was no talent at Fox and really, um, except Jim, you know, cause they had a deal with Lightstorm, which, which led yep. to, as I was coming in, led to um, True Lies. And then Jim showed up. I was working at that stage. I was president. And Peter Turner was was CEO, chairman, and Peter um, Jim came in with Titanic as a, you know, um, um, in more than an idea. We called it scriptments that they were. He would long form it out almost like a novel with some scenes, so you got a feel for dialogue and character. Um, but it was pretty much Titanic and um, and Peter in particular was aghast. But everybody in the business was because, you know, Jim's success was, you know, you know, as good as True Lies is, you know, to me, it's T2 and, you know, the yes. Terminator movie. Yes. But T2, I thought was, you know, brilliant movie, as good as in sci-fi as anybody's ever made. Um, you know, and he did things he did in Titanic later, which was, you know, kind of game changing effects and stuff. Um, so what everybody wanted, you know, what my what my group wanted, they wanted they wanted T three, you know, not yeah. literally, but they wanted the you know that next big scale adventure action, however you want to look at it, um, picture, not a love story. And so the, the studio, and this was really led by Peter at the stage, was trying to get him out of trying to dissuade him, not understanding you can't dissuade Jim, um, you know off of Titanic to make something, you know, more palatable or more, you know, almost what, what goes on today, what everybody's looking for. Yesterday's news, you know, everybody's, if I can quote from Fight Club, you know, it's a copy of a copy. What everybody's looking for is something that can't fail. You know, Disney has almost perfected it by mm -hmm. Marvel and, and Star, you know, and the Star Wars stuff and, and, and Pixar by, you know, then they're not reinvent. They're not making a new thing each time. They're making something 
you know, in the assembly line, um, which has been very, you know, as you can see, completely successful. But so in, in Titanic's world, you know, I read when I read, I thought this is great. You know, he his and if you look at Jim's work, the performances in every one of his movies from the beginning of time on are the performances are great. He's yeah. you know he's always given the technical kudos, but not as much for you know there isn't anybody in one of those movies that's really not very good. So right. I thought they could pull it off and and and. Peter was trying to get it, get him to not do it. So I gave him a, a, a start date that wouldn't work, a budget that wouldn't work. Um, and again, not understanding a Jim was going to come back and, and defy all that, which he did. So instead of it being uh, all digital movie, you know, with all the effects in the background, which is uncontrollable, we'll build the ship, you know, make it, we'll shoot it mostly practically and cut down on the, cost overruns of you can't get the effects to work um and it'll you know he'll start on the time you know for a release date and all that stuff and of course it was a disaster from the get-go um and peter got himself promoted so that he could duck and let me get the buzzsaw um i mean a funny story you know it took me three months to get you know i took john landau who's the producer off of the immediate stuff and brought in Marty Katz from who was who had been head of production was at Disney to come in with a team of people to figure out because nobody could tell me this and now I'm the CEO and Peter was like run off to get away from this thing because it was you know nobody could tell me what it cost to date what it would cost to complete <laughs> when it would complete we were losing three out of every five days on the schedule um and it was just, uh, you know, we were, you didn't even know where you were. Um, right. So three months to figure out we were $65 million over budget at that time when the biggest movie made was $120 million or something. Wow. At that stage. So we were like, our over budget was crazy. Um, and Murdoch didn't know when even we were over budget. And I just happened into that meeting, into a, a thing where I had gotten a number and 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 so for for that I guess cemented my my relationship with Murdoch. He looked at me with dollar signs and they were all red. They weren't they weren't green. And uh, of what the hell is this? And it was really the sixty five was wrong. We were about seventy five. We ended up about a hundred mile hundred million over budget. Um, <laughs> but it was all controlled from that point on. And and the process would with Jim, which was extremely difficult. You know, he's the, yeah. he was the, I always say the meanest guy I've ever dealt with and not a, not a, not a false bully. He was like the real deal. Um, and there were some real toe to toe stuff, but, um, you know, what I found through the process. And again, I was seeing, you know, dailies that were to me were magnificent. You know, I saw the death stuff of Kate and Leo first and, you know, you just go, Okay, he can do all the rest. And what really came out of the process is, you know, he was, he was, uh, it wasn't the accoutrements. We cut all this stuff off of where there was extra spending and stuff. It wasn't about any personal luxuries or any hmm. professional luxuries. He just wanted to make the greatest movie he could possibly make. 
So I thought in one sense, our, our, our interests were aligned. You know, he said to me later that your, your, my choice was whether to make a, a crummy, cheaper, too expensive movie, ridiculously expensive movie, or roll the dice and make something great that is, is beyond being stupid in terms yeah. of cost. Yeah. And I, I thought the only way out was the front door, not the rear door. You had to, you had to play for all the marbles. And if you lost you, at least you failed with ambition. Right. So it's a phenomenal, phenomenal story. And so by the end of it, you were a hundred million over budget, but the film opens incredibly, incredibly strongly. And so you guys knew early on you were going to be okay with it. No, we were so expensive that that's not true. We were actually, um, I think we were, if you look, I don't remember, I think we were only like 20 or $30 million wow. for the weekend because it's so long. Um, you know, and it was a big fight because I, I had to sell the rights to Paramount, but I controlled the domestic distribution okay. release date and the marketing. So I made them change the marketing and and had them threaten me with a lawsuit because they wanted to release it at Thanksgiving. But because it was so long and I know we, we had to play forever, um, I wanted Christmas because if we opened successfully at Christmas, you had the through run of until you know until uh, easter basically you know you wouldn't fight that same thing versus the 50 movies that open between thanksgiving and christmas so we had to survive in open seas if that's the proper metaphor for it <laughs> sure um and the first weekend you know you're we did good but we were i think we barely beat out james bond if, a, if i'm remembering right um but we were number one for 21 or 24 weeks which is you know that's that's the longest run of of my profession you know not my professional career but of the time i've been in movies nobody's done that uh it just kept going and going and going so it, at the at the opening um you know th i'll do it three weeks before we opened paramount sold the movie to the networks um <laughs> for half of the price I got for Independence Day. Wow. Because wow. they were fires. They were fire sailing. A movie like Titanic being able to get made today. Can it, would it ever, what would that look like? Uh, and just your, your general thoughts on obviously how much the business has changed. Obviously he's still getting things like Avatar made. So maybe not all that much. And maybe today bigger is the only thing that seems like it does have a straight path to, to getting made. Yeah, I, you know, when we were going through Titanic, I, I openly talked, as I'm doing now, I openly talked about the problems of it, because I thought we were a warning sign that when sure. you're, if you're, if you're wrong and you're betting, you're betting the house, you're not betting part of the house, you're now betting the whole house on one movie. It's pretty, I don't know that I think that's the smartest thing to do. So I did it as a, you know, like, hey, we survived it. We, you know, we, it worked for us, but that's a bad gamble most of the time. You know, 100 million, yeah, 200 million at that stage was was beyond being nutsy. And, um, but it worked to such a level, made whatever, two and a half, three billion dollars. Sure. Um, that everybody took it the other way. And, and it's at that moment that I think the business got lost because then bigger mm. was better. You know, I made... X-Men 
first Marvel movie, got fired over it. You know, nobody wants to see a Marvel. Nobody wants to see guys in spandex, you know, um, and you're crazy for making it. And then, you know, every Marvel movie costs more than Titanic. Right. So truth is, everybody thought bigger is better. And it wasn't, you know, if, if, I, if I'm making a $50 million movie that makes $50 million, that's no longer, that's cigar money. That's not even interesting anymore. Right. Um, so, you know, today's world, the, you know, the, in the streamers, you know, the, they're making $200 million bets. They right. don't, cause they don't have anything at really at risk. It's on, it's all on subscriptions. So, right. um, you know, I think the bigger, you know, the bigger is better is not, is not the truth. I did do this with did this to somebody and I always do when I, people are asking me about the Oscars and stuff, you know, the Oscars are the invert, invert of the business in that, in the Oscars, small is good and, and big is bad mm. in the, in the business world and the streamers and with the studios, big is good and small is bad. Sure. The truth of life is good is good and bad is bad. <laughs> right. It's it doesn't differentiate between big or small. A small movie that's great, you know, everything, everywhere, anywhere, everywhere. Oh yeah, yeah. Time is great, you know. Top Gun, Maverick is great. Right. You know, that's those are those are not diametrically opposed. They're part of the same thing. Those are filmmakers who made great and film people. I don't just mean filmmaker, yeah. mean directors, but yeah, those those are great films made by great people, um, and. There are different pleasures. It's just like going from an Italian restaurant to a Chinese restaurant to a, you know, to a burger place. If the, if you're getting crummy burgers, or you're getting crummy Italian food, or you're getting crummy Chinese flavor, flavorful Chinese food, yeah. it's crummy, right. right? It's a great perspective. Now and and again, you've uh, you've certainly seen the, the biggest and obviously smaller projects as well, and produced and greenlit content that's excellent and it's really timeless on both sides of it. So again, kudos, Bill, thank you on uh, spending 45 minutes with us chatting. And again, really, really appreciate you taking the time and imparting some of the, the well-worn wisdom from, from a great career. Just the war stories, all good. <laughs> Happy to be a part, let, let people learn whatever they can learn from it. Thanks, Bill, appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Okay, thanks, Matt. Thank you. Bye. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.